my lemon money I ran all the way home that night Ran all the way home right back to my mom Running out in the park Exile Didn't even keep you up here The cars in my road almost hit me in a hurry The cars were just a sign of an hobby up here Down in the dirt I had a scratch card, I scratched so hard Cause I'm feeling fucking lucky, boy I'm feeling so lucky I'm a 10th birthday, got a puppy Now I'm back in the park with the middle class Europe's trying to get lucky I was living where slowly, slowly made me feel so lucky Put it on my brain, boy, another fucking junkie Boy, another fucking scrap Your girl, your girl bosses. Quentin, we're back, and this week we are the girl bosses. I guess girl bosses. Um, yeah. And uh, I've already been burned once asking you uh, if you've listened to the other podcasts on the network, so I won't uh, even ask. But Sam did mention this <laughs> on the uh, on his podcast, and he specifically said that he assumes that we would have the better take, so he didn't even touch it. Let's open it up. The most important story, I think, in all of wrestling, and, and maybe even bigger than that, uh, Sasha Banks, Naomi, show up to Raw, basically do the coolest move you can do in wrestling, says, that's not going to work for me, brother, goes home, leaves the title belts on the desk, and take the fuck off. Um, objectively, before we even get into the discussion, before we talk about any of it, just objectively cool and good, big fans of this move, but Quentin, what are your thoughts? This is such a big deal. The people that don't watch wrestling are asking me about this. This is such an unusual, out of the norm thing. The people that don't watch wrestling are trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. That's how big of a deal this is. Um, while you continue setting up the topic and probably getting into it, one of us probably should pull up the statement that WWE put oh out. Oh my fucking god. Because oh. it is everything about it tonally is completely different than, say, Tony Storm, who right. granted was not as big of a player as Naomi and Sasha were at this point, but still, through various different releases, walkouts, people not wanting to come in, all the kind of stuff. There is a very 
notable tone which is uh which is attached to how they're trying trying to paint and describe Sasha Banks and Naomi's actions uh from this Monday. But fucking surreal, right? At least on the end of Naomi, where it feels like she's like a WWE lifer type of person. Sasha Banks has had these kind of issues with WWE before, if you remember with Bailey, that those two kind of held the company hostage over how over how they're being treated in book because they're like we're big marketable stars and you're going to treat us as such because otherwise we can just go and the presentation changed and bailey got a long bailey got a long women's title reign sasha was able to do her thing on raw the tag titles they got a they got a few they got a big feud and program together all that all that kind of stuff and people forget that that basically came from them saying do right by us or fuck off and clearly wwe fall bet fell back into the same patterns that sasha who is a legitimate star or legitimate known commodity outside of wwe with social media appearing on youtube stuff i mean the fucking mandalorian obviously her relationship with snoop dog she has realized that she does not need these people she's known that for a few years now and I love the fact that she is saying, no, I'm dead fucking serious about this. I am one of those type of stars. If you do not treat me like that, if you do not listen to me like that, then I don't need to be here because Sasha Banks is bigger than WWE and she's not wrong. And I help people to statement up because I would love to read it or love to get you to read it because this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I pulled up the the statement, or did you say you wanted to read it? No, you can re- you can read the statement. Go ahead. Okay, I pulled it up here. Um, it says when Sasha Banks and Naomi arrived at the arena this afternoon, they were informed of their participation in the main event of tonight's Monday Night Raw. During the broadcast, they walked into WWE head of talent relations John John Laurinaitis's office with their suitcases in hand, placed their tag team championship belts on his desk, and walked out. They claimed they weren't respected enough as tag team champions, and even though they uh, had eight hours to rehearse and construct their match, they claimed they were uncomfortable in the ring with two of their opponents, even though they had matches with those individuals in the past with no consequence. Uh, Monday Night Raw is a scripted live TV show whose characters are expected to perform the requirements of their contract. We regret, uh, we regret we were unable to deliver as advertised tonight's main event. Um, I find everything about the tone complete bullshit. Um, I, you know, I tweeted this out and like I said, it, maybe it was a personal trigger thing for me, maybe for my own personal history, but the idea that you imply that like, oh, well, they've never had, they, they wrestled these people before and they never had an issue is just fucking disgusting way to say it. Just because something yep. has worked out before doesn't mean that it's fine. Just because you've done something once or agreed to something before doesn't mean that that means in perpetuity, you always agree to it. It's fucking terrible. And, and it's a really shitty way to look at things. Um, yeah, and as you said, like, d- describing every detail of what happened, saying they went into the office, they had their suitcases in hand, they dropped off the tag, but, like, what the fuck is this? What is this? As you said, every other time they don't say a, a fucking word. Why are they going out of their way to try to put this over the top and, and really, like, oh, they were they were being so unprofessional? You know what I mean? Like, fuck off. How many times does WWE advertise a match and then just not do it and just say nothing? 
and it has nothing to do with anything. You know what I mean? Just because they changed their minds. But oh no, they they stole this match from the fans that they had advertised because they did this. Like, fuck off. This company thinks it's totally fine to false advertise matches constantly. Um, all the, all, hear- all the all the all the time, but also like, obviously, like yeah, Sasha Banks have been around these titles. Are we really gonna sit here and pretend that they really treat the? women's tag titles with that much reverence and respect that oh my god the fans were really looking forward to this match like that's such fucking bullshit to pretend like they're like really pretending that they actually cared that much about that or that the fans who they've conditioned who they've conditioned and taught to not care about those belts cared about those belts that much like it's such shit on so many different levels well, yeah, and that plays into what I was bringing up. Did you hear? Have you heard the entire background on what the, what the booking was, and kind of the more details and all that? No, I have not. I just okay. found something that I think relates to that. But go ahead. So it was supposed to be a six pack challenge. It was going to be Oscar, uh, Becky Lynch, obviously Naomi and Sasha Banks, Jew Drop, and uh, Nikki Ash. Um, I haven't heard anybody confirm who the two that they said they didn't feel comfortable working with, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, I can't imagine. Out of those four, they're all pretty, you know, experienced, all pretty good wrestlers. I don't know what the issue was there. The booking, the storyline was going to be, you know, obviously whoever won, I think, got a title match with Charlotte, and the winner was going to be Naomi, and the final two was going to be Sasha and Naomi. Um... And I've heard it put like, oh, what are they complaining about? And then because the other side of it was Sasha was going to go from this to getting put into a storyline where she was going to challenge uh, Ronda Rousey. So Naomi was going to challenge Charlotte. Sasha's going to challenge Ronda Rousey at the pay-per-view. They're both going to lose those matches. But and they were going to be the final two and they were going to go into (laughs) into the singles programs with the champions. And how are they complaining that they're not being booked? And that's why. It's really important to read exactly what's said in the statement, which is they claim they weren't respected enough as tag team champions. And that's the fucking point. Why are the tag team champions going down to the final two of the six pack challenge to decide who gets a title shot in a, for the singles match on a random episode of Raw? The match was set up at the beginning segment of the show and was going to main event the show. Why are you setting up tag team championships wrestling the tag team champions wrestling each other? Coming down to the final two against each other, one of the tag team champions pinning the other tag team champion. Why are you setting up and delivering that match on the same show? Because you have no absolutely no respect for them as a tag team. You have no respect yeah. for the tag team titles and them as a tag team. You think that they're fodder for the singles division to be split and broken up and used as challengers of the month to lose to the singles champions because they're the tag team champions and they don't. Not really not, not not just the singles champions, like the quote unquote real stars. Yes, when. Meanwhile, Sasha Banks is the biggest star in the company. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care about any other metrics that they try. You can't point at any other metrics and really say that she's not. Roman, Roman's, in, Roman's interesting because, like, I think through sheer attrition, we, like, us nerds will know the real history of Roman Reigns and how much he failed as a top guy. But, like, through sheer attrition, just because he's been there for the last however many years, people are starting to see Roman as that and also just the fact that he hasn't been pinned in however long but like but again like that's just like optics optics yes. making someone look metrics. as big look as big look as big as they are like if metrics you, tell a different story exactly and it's like if we're looking at a bunch of different things like it's Sasha and it's been Sasha for a few for a few years yeah 
So the idea that, like you said, that, oh, you guys are going to be thrown together as the tag team champions. You're going to wrestle each other, come down to the final two. One of you's going to pin the other, and you're going to go off into singles feuds against the real stars who are going to beat you for their championships on the pay-per-view. Again, when you're talking about Naomi, Naomi's insanely over. Naomi's connected to the family. She is in wrestling through and through at this point. You can't argue with that. She's been in wrestling for a very long time. She's been in wrestling since 2009. Like, 2009, that's crazy. And when I talk about connected to the family, I mean the the Anawai family, the Samoan dynasty, you know, the family that is... Uh, people talk about, you know, the royal families of wrestling and people, you know, Cody Rhodes' bullshit theme and, you know, the Rhodes. I mean, what is it? It's it's two generations of the Rhodes, you know, and people talk about the hearts. The hearts definitely have a conversation, you know, talk about the McMahons. You, there, there's a there's definitely a lot of families in Mexico that are, are bigger wrestling dynasty families, including like the Guerreros. But um, even, uh, you know, what I can't I don't even know what you call oh, the family, but like Negro Casas family. Um, oh yeah, there's the there's the Alvarado family that's like yeah. Maximo, uh, La Mascara, uh, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, like going, you know that all that. Yeah, but the one family that gets overlooked, I think, whenever people talk about the dynasties of wrestling, is the Anawahi family, which goes back to the beginnings of wrestling, which link through some of the biggest stars of all time, which link through every territory over the entire fucking globe. You know what I mean? It's just huge. And again, Naomi is part of that. Naomi is a big enough star on her own. But then you're talking about Sasha Banks, who is hands down the biggest star in the company. The only one who really shows it, like market difference when it comes to moving the needle, who is a main roster player, not somebody who's a part-timer or a former retired star coming let's, back. For let's, let's, let's be totally real. The reason why Sasha and Bailey got pushed so hard is because they were fucking terrified of Sasha leaving and going to, a- going to AEW. Yes. They were fucking terrified. Especially at that point in time, when Moxley had already let his contract expire, and and, and all that, like a, a, imagine the double whammy at that point in time of Sasha showing up too, or Sasha and Bailey both leaving, or you know, it pretty, pretty much in that same time frame. Like the only reason why they treated when I started treating Sasha better was was because of the fact that they were terrified of AEW. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And you talked talked about the metrics. I, I pointed this out as well, but put it on here as well. Like, you talked about that Sasha knows what level of star she is and that she doesn't need them. And it's it's proven. I mean, that we just saw what happened with Tony Storm. She left. She's not anywhere near the star of Sasha Banks's, and she, out the gate, made like a million dollars off of OnlyFans. You're telling me Sasha couldn't do the same damn thing? She couldn't do Twitch? All of these things that have been proven to be insanely lucrative and doesn't need WWE in any way. Doesn't need their yeah, or just like her own, like her own endorsements, how much money she would command at the negotiating table from, from aid, from AEW or from, or from anywhere else. Like yeah. there was a, there was a clip, there was a clip of her talking to Steve Austin on the Steve Austin pod. And she said, like, I'm not just happy to be here anymore. I'm not that little girl anymore. That was ha- just happy to be here. Like I don't, I don't want, I don't want the hot dogs. I want steak. I want steak, and I want a piece of the pie, like Vince McMahon. Like, yeah, I want the steak with the veggies. <laughs> yeah, I liked that because like, she's calling out Vince for never eating vegetables. <laughs> like that's what I like. Gee, like I'm not just happy to be here anymore. And like this, really, this isn't hyperbole to put it in the same category as like Stone Cold walking out 
and Punk walking out. And the thing about her is that maybe this could lead to her still wrestling. We'll see what gets worked out, if anything gets worked out. But if say if she got let go of her contract or whatever that time frame is, because knowing how big of a star she is, they'll try, they'll try to litigate it and be all pissy with her and all that kind of stuff. Like, if she decided to wrestle, it would be monumental for her to show up in AEW. Or if she oh, yeah. decided that she just wanted to fucking like do act do acting gigs and like be on television, like that, that woman could be on TV, like daytime TV, whatever, doing game shows or the night like the night game shows, whatever. She could do all that shit. She's that kind of like presence and personality that likable on the microphone. Yeah, she has that. She, she like she has that. So. For me, I think it's. I think it's. I think that's why they have to put out put out that kind of statement to get to get ahead of something because it, like it's in the same vein of talking about Stone Cold, talking about CM Punk, talking about major stars that way. You can argue that they don't give a fuck about the FTRs and Mustafa Ali's and Tony Storms and Brody Lee's and all those people who are talking about wanting to get wanting to get released. They don't get. They don't care the same way. They don't care. They don't care about that the same way. But optically. And how it sounds like it happened, it sounds like they were trying to call them spoiled for all for wanting the, for wanting the booking to make sense. Yeah, trying to call these two black women spoiled, entitled, whatever for wanting their booking to make sense. Why is it coming down to us? We're tag team partners. When we want each other to both be like equally viable, we're tag team partners. That's what makes sense. You're putting one partner above the other in that circumstance, and that doesn't make any sense. We're looking out for each other. Is there a way we can do something different? Right. Okay. Let's do something different. They try to figure something out. Producers are getting pissy about it. Uh, pussy about it. Apparently, now they're saying whatever, and now everyone's mad at them. They're spoiled. They're entitled, and that's just because they want their booking to make sense. Like this does nothing for us. It does nothing for us as a tag team. You don't want to, you, like you're gonna put us. In, you're gonna spin us into this stuff. These belts that we've that we've put our like our so much effort into building the credibility of you know put those belts on ice like what the fuck just so we can just so we can both lose at these single uh, both lose these singles matches like just for that that doesn't make any sense it's not entitled for for, for wanting your position or role or what's asked of you to make sense especially if you're Sasha fucking Banks the bare minimum is that your shit should make sense <laughs> yeah well like, and I'm not gonna like. I don't mean to leave Naomi out here because she has like has her has her kayfabe accomplishments too, and she's super long tenured at this point. But at the bare minimum, when you're Sasha Banks, your shit should make sense. The the same way that you'll find all like all these different ways to make Charlotte's shit make whatever sense it makes in your warped, twisted heads, when, because you can't figure out how you actually want to present Charlotte or how you try to make Becky's stuff make sense. That same that same effort, that same effort has to should have like has to go into Sasha, because she's bigger than both of them. She's an actual star. Yeah. What One is so hard to understand stars about that? This company has one of the only stars that this company fucking has. And One of the few actual stars it. in wrestling. One yeah. of the few actual stars in wrestling. Period is Sasha Banks. That's her. That that's the kind of person that she is. And if you're willing to fuck that up. Because your producers or whoever's writing it can't take the fact that hey, 
what you're trying to get to doesn't actually make any sense. <laughs> uh. Look at Sasha war, told Sasha told these motherfuckers goddamn two years ago, three years ago, that if you keep fucking with me, this is what's gonna happen. We literally just had a situation like this not that long ago. So if Sasha leaves, they have no one but themselves to blame because Sasha told these dipshits that I can go. I'm not going to keep dealing with this shit. Yeah. And she's right. She's 100% correct. She's in the right. And she doesn't need to deal with this shit. And now that there is something that could be a direct competition... On top of all the other shit that we're talking about, she doesn't even need to worry about wrestling, but something that could actually take a bite out of WWE, now they better fucking wake the fuck up. Because, yeah, like you said, this is real shit for them. And if they lose Sasha, and, you know, I don't know what the chances are that she takes off. I don't know what her situation is. I don't know any of that. But, I mean, you know, the the, the four horsewomen doesn't seem, they don't seem to be on fucking great terms with each other anymore. You know, it doesn't seem like the four of them are tight. Sasha and Bailey still seem to be, you know, good friends, at least somewhat. But Bailey's been and out. I think, and, I th- and I think, Be- and I think Becky is cool, like with that, like, like it's like I, I, it seems it seems like the, like it's, like it's always just been Charlotte as the issue. Who was kind interest- of forced into the thing because she wasn't even really part of the group, you know? Yeah, like to me, I think that, and I, and I, and I remember saying this. However many months back talking about like representation needs to be consistent. Like Sasha having her run being a big act is cool. That was fun, right? Where was the consistency? Where was it? She, her and Bailey were on top purely because she had to put her foot down and say, we can't do this anymore. This isn't cool. Treat me with some respect. And then they got on their best behavior. This is their real selves showing up again. Yep. That Sasha, despite how big of a star she is, they continue to find ways to try to act like she's not. They continue they continue to do that. This is just like repeated behavior. And all you can do when someone starts to repeat behavior and it just it just shows the real way the way in which they view you is you can either take it or you can go. And Sasha's told them plenty of times I'm, like, that she'll that she'll go. So will Sasha and my and Naomi ultimately wind up leaving? I don't know. We'll see. I think Sasha loves being in WWE. She grew up watching WWE, and I feel like there's a part of her that like like saying that she gets to be a WWE superstar. But I also believe her when she says she's like I don't I know that this isn't the end for me, but this is what's meant for me that I can be bigger that I'm gonna be bigger than this. And yeah, yeah, man, this is a real, this is like a legitimately huge story on the levels of like punk in Austin. And it makes me, it really takes me back to when the punk stuff happened and the way in which WWE went out to like try to discredit punk at so many different turns. It was really, really funny. And I think that they're trying to get ahead of this now. And yeah, just tonally, everything. They just missed the mark on that press release so fucking bad, but they were in the wrong in the first place and they were scrambling. Yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned that and the punk thing, the Austin thing, this this with, with Sasha, and it made me think of one that doesn't get 
doesn't get talked about because they were so much more private about it and they kept it behind the scenes. But the 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 Brock stuff, because, you know, WWE and Brock got into legal battles and had a ton of contentiousness there when he left and then, you know, flame or didn't really flame out, but, you know, basically wasn't good enough to just instantly be a top level uh, fucking NFL player, which like, who knew? Shocking, right? But like for Brock, it's like he couldn't accept it because that's, you know, that's his 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 lot in life he's a a golden mongo he's the guy who like everything he touches he's instantly amazing at and the first time that he had any difficulty when it came to trying to be a professional football player he's like oh, okay well i'm not gonna make it it was like he could have been on the practice squad or done um done like you know whatever junior leagues right and then they he was like fuck it i'm not gonna do any of that and went back to wrestling and then that turned into a whole thing because we granted you your release to play football not to do wrestling and there's a giant court case and that's why i make jokes about the f5 being the verdict because once he when he won the case he, he started calling the f5 the verdict in japan um as like a nod to him beating wwe but they didn't drag his name through the mud they didn't publicly, openly talk shit about Brock Lesnar, right? Because they respect him. Vince respects him, you know? And the Paul Heyman connection and all that stuff. And then even when he was in UFC, they tried to they tried to work an angle with The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar because they always respect him. And it comes back mm-hmm. to that thing where it's like, Punk, no fucking respect for Punk. Austin, weirdly no respect for Austin, even though you would think at some point they would get him. And then Sasha, I mean, this is ridiculous. <laughs> the way that they're yeah, doing it, Sasha is it, it, makes, it makes perfect sense, like... Brock, like Brock, was the guy from day one when they when they when they laid eyes on him, and everyone else that we said, CM Punk, Austin, Sasha was not. That's like yeah, that's just that's just that's just what it is. Yeah, it's all talented people who they were forced to push. They have no fucking respect for. Same thing like I was talking about with Cody, you know. And I got I got the the DM from Pete that mentioned it, but he said you know. I think I think uh, he said Vince might have more respect for Cody because Cody actually ran a company um, that competed with him, and I just we'll see we'll see. But I just think that Vince, when he gets forced to do something, he doesn't uh, he doesn't like it. He doesn't he doesn't then like buy into that person and like them, even if he makes a ton of money off of them. He still has sour grapes, and I just think Cody is going to suffer a similar fate. All of this did I mean there is, and you mentioned it. It's too too confident and talented and star level black women and there is the race element to this that i think is really hard to overlook and one thing that did cross my mind was the return of a vocal confident black wrestler who had a bit of an issue not just in wwe but also in AEW in leo rush and i was thinking about black wrestlers and their their how they work in even in AEW at this point we've talked about it a lot you know there's enough conversation about it but I did think like Leo just doesn't hate to say this you know but Leo doesn't have that like play nice for white people thing and uh, when you look at like someone like Swerve Strickland who's like part of the Sammy verse he's had to deal like even though he got away with them as quickly as he could like part of the Sammy verse is also Zachary Wentz who just got fucking in trouble for you know dressing up like Hitler and doing a Zig Heil. He got fired, right? Like, so Swerve knows how to, you know, whatever. I don't know the guy personally, but seems like the kind of guy who knows how to deal with racist-ass white people and that bullshit, right? I mean, how do you not if you're hanging out with fucking Jessica Havoc and Sammy Callahan and Zachary Wentz? Um, Yeah. And and he's doing fine in AEW, but someone like Leo, who from the beginning has shown us that he just doesn't have that 
And it's similar to the Brock thing. The guy, everything he does, he's amazing at. His career, he's never had to eat shit. When he was in CZW, it wasn't like a Sammy time. It wasn't a time where Callahan and those kind of old brother bullshits were around. And everywhere that that Leo has gone, he's gotten pushed and treated with respect. And anytime he gets, you know, has to deal with any bullshit, he doesn't take it. So it does make you wonder, like, how does Sasha do in a setting like that? Is is she able to deal with it? Is she, you know what I mean? Or, or I think that I think that's I think that it came from Sasha directly. It's like she was happy to be there, and when you're happy to be there, and when you're as young as Sasha was when she was coming in, when she was coming into WWE, like she was a fucking baby. Like she was 22, 23 years old coming in, and the rest of her peers are at least like a like a good amount older than her at that, at that point in time. She she was a baby. She was happy to be there a lifelong fan, all that kind of stuff. And I don't know what Sasha's relationship to race is. So like, I'm not going to like speak on that the same way that you can with like Leo and how vocally Leo is with his departure from both AEW and WWE. Cause I, re- I really don't know Sasha's relationship with that stuff. For all I know, she could be fucking Zoe Kravitz with that shit so i'm like so there like there has been some stuff where she's kind of talked about that and you know not as bad but talked about how like you know i'm i'm part german i'm part whatever like i'm not you know i don't want to be you know i'm, I'm yeah, okay so, kind of thing you know <laughs> yeah so like i don't know what her relationship to race is in that way so like i don't want to say so like i'll stay away from that aspect of it but i think it really is that sasha was a fan and when you're a fan and you're happy to be there you kind of just, oh, okay, well, that's fine. Like, maybe, like, maybe that's, that's just how things are. And you're willing to accept those things, overlook those things until you're not. And whenever that breaking point was for Sasha, I don't know. It sounds like it came in the last few years. But, like, people have called Sasha, quote-unquote, a complainer on Twitter for forever now. You know, <laughs> like, we, we've, we've, seen, we've seen that forever like her, like her pin tweet on her, on Twitter for a long time was was like something about was something about betting on yourself or whatever. Like that's just like that's just the kind of person that she's been for the last few the, the last few years. So I think that in Sasha's case, I want to assume that it might have been less race based because I don't know her relationship with that kind of stuff. And and ultimately, I think that she was just she realized how big of a star she was and that she doesn't have to like play the fan anymore you know people talked about sasha's out there crying in her wrestling matches and it's like oh this is imaginary stuff and kayfabe and this doesn't matter and imaginary title belts and like well they said that shit means something to her so who fucking cares i mean that means something to the people that are winning those belts and were fans as a kid and i think i do think there's value in that stuff just because sentimentality is important i think it's a fucked up thing to just try to disregard those things as you get older but in this case Sasha's experienced it and had and had and had all that kind of stuff, and now she realizes I'm fucking kind of like I'm fucking Casca Reeves. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have to deal with your nonsense anymore. I, I just don't have to deal with that. So I want to stay away from that for the time being because, like I said, Sasha Banks can fucking Zoe Kravitz this shit up at any, at any moment. But I think I think it's more so that. Yeah, and I I don't expect you know there to be any big issue but i just thought about it you know we've talked we've talked about the 
the race issues with AEW and or the perceived race issues with AEW and how things are going and all this and that. And then I did kind of notice, like, you know, the only real issue they ever they've had so far is like, you know, Leo. The one real open issue was Leo, and then obviously the stuff with um with Swole, but that was. I hate to say it, cause, but it just felt a little bit like fucking um, like sour grapes, you know, and just kind of using a situation to, to maybe air some grievances that you had that would have kept quiet if you had just kept signed, you know, you know, and, and, you know, I don't know. I don't want to, you know, sh- really cast aspersions on anyone. So b- my point is more just that Leo was the most like clear cut. He's like, I don't like the way that I'm being treated. And I think that some of it comes back to a race situation with him um, just because of he gets treated fucking poorly and he doesn't need to keep his mouth shut. You know, it's just it's and it's and it's right. And other people who would be in the same situation could do similar things and probably wouldn't get the same treatment that he gets. And I just think that, that again, that comes back to a race thing um, either or, way. Or, or, it's, or it's like what Leo is like, if we're going back to some of the stuff that he was talking about. Even if, say, Finn Balor didn't have racist intentions when he was saying something, right? Or whatever, it, whatever it is. If you're Leo and you're a black kid from you're a black kid from DC, I don't blame him for certain things. Yeah, like, like sending off certain alarms and being like, "Whoa, hey, hold on, wait a second. What, like, 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 what, what did you mean by that?" Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I understand, again, I understand completely where he's coming from, and that's why I say it's the most obvious one, and then and then I was like, kind of thinking about, you know, who can, who can play, you know, who can play well, and who can put up with the fucking bullshit better, because they're just, like, desensitized to it, and I just thought about Swerve, and I'm just like, goddamn, like, Swerve has to be the most, like, just had to fucking deal with that shit for so long, and then, as, like I said, as you noticed, the JML crew and all that bullshit, as soon as he was an entity on his own, as soon as strickland was a star you don't see him fucking palling around with any of those guys anymore he just like completely severed ties and took off and good for good on him you know honestly but yeah dealing with a lot of bullshit to get where he is now you want to you want to stick in wwe land for a little bit and talk Uh, about stephanie mcmahon (laughs) oh yeah shit i mean girl bosses is a great episode title you're right um (laughs) is there more than just the tweet feel free to uh i mean no i mean no but like we could have fun with this, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we could just, there could be there could be some there could be some dot connecting that goes on. For sure. So, for sure. Let's go. Triple H has been gradually ousted out of power for the last couple of years. We've all been aware of that. Nearly died. I've been informed uh, that he's still alive. Could have fooled, could have fooled me. Yes. You know, <laughs> could have could have could have fooled me. Is uh, apparently still alive, and just and like I guess for the time being is. No longer really doing stuff with WWE, retired from in-ring competition for good, all that kind of stuff. I think and, I read something like he has some kind of job now, but it's like very low impact. He's like scouting. Yeah, and I mean, we gotta we gotta ask since WWE's fucking succession at this point. Do you think that Stephanie is stepping down from her position? in relationship to that i can't see how it's not right like yeah um but it depends on in what regard right like 
the 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 thing that makes the most sense to me is Stephanie from the beginning was she wanted to to build herself up in the company for some kind of succession plan succession plan where she would get the keys to the castle at some point right um yeah she started out you know working in the writer's room and working that way out I think probably thinking that if she can prove that she can do creative and, you know, all that, then she can, she can, uh, prove that she can run the company the way that Vince does on that side of things and let other people do the rest. Um, and it didn't really pan out. I think because she didn't try to learn how to be a booker. She tried to learn how to be a writer and Vince was not going to, Vince doesn't respect the writers. That's why the writers, their fucking shelf life is like, you know, a week. I think I think I've heard that before that someone did the stats and they said like the average fucking like time of working as a writer in WWE is a week because some people work there for years and then so many people churn through where they're only there a couple of days. That where like your average person is there for like a month, less than a month. Um, when you average the things out. So so she was trying to do that and that wasn't it. She needed to like try to learn how to be a booker and do like, you know, the Pat Patterson uh, Vince McMahon, what's his name, Bruce Pritchard thing. You know, those those guys who make the real decisions. They have these writers, they sit in a room and they just, you know, type stuff up, but they don't actually make any real decisions. Um, so when she saw that that was going to fall through and her and, you know, Triple H are married and Triple H actually is in those rooms having those conversations as like the Montreal Screwjob. Um, <laughs> aforementioned recently on the podcast by me, how fucking pissed off I am at him for that and probably will never forgive him. Um, so, oh, okay, I can, I can do the corporate side. My husband can do the, the wrestling side and of course we'll be the next people who are the, who are in charge. And now that Triple H is falling apart on his side of things, and it looks more and more like Nick Khan is going to figure out a way to sell this company to the highest bidder, be it piecemeal or, or if someone eventually just buys the whole thing outright, Vince cashes out, rides off into the sunset and probably dies within a week of retiring. Um, Stephanie is just like, fuck it and going to step away. And who knows? She doesn't need to work. It, I mean, she's got enough stock in the company. She's set for life. She could get into politics. She could follow in her mother's footsteps and basically just be a shady back, you know, backdoor, uh, like political power influencing person in, you know, in Connecticut, just basically controlling bullshit nobody cares about. And, and it doesn't matter that she's, you know, everyone's like <laughs> called her a crack whore and <laughs> talked about her losing her virginity on television for a thousand years because she's never going to actually run for office. She's just going to wield influence and power behind the scenes. Who knows? Or maybe she could, she could like actually retire and just do nothing. You know, I don't know. Maybe again, like I said, she doesn't need to do anything and who knows how like savagely like important this stuff is to her. So I think, I think this is just soft retirement. Honestly, I think she's going to step away from this. She'll return here and there to do a couple little things like PR things with the company, but I don't think she's ever going to be involved with the company day to day ever again. What do you think? I doubt it. I think that she had this vision of what WWE was going to be for her as time as time went on. And I think that she's realized like, oh shit. He really might not give the company to me. I think he, I think she's like that's really set in that Vince is so fucking insane that I don't think that she figures into WWE's long-term plans anymore. Which like 
basically whatever about Stephanie and her trying to take credit for all this women's wrestling stuff and trying to position herself as a fucking girl boss and insert herself into all these things women's wrestling based and debuting the the four horse women and ha- and like having her do it and all all types of shit right but it's not like Stephanie was bad at her job as far as like marketing and corporate and corporate stuff she's done everything that she was supposed to do as a fucking rich daughter that would that had everything handed to her she did what she was supposed to do i guess and that realization of wow my dad's really fucking crazy and it will probably let nick khan run this before he lets me run this is that's fucking that's wild (laughs) he will sell he will he will he will sell this company before i before i run it it's crazy, but you have to keep in mind that, that you know, in his twisted mind, he thinks that he bought the company from his dad, even though, you know, he got loans and all of this stuff to make it possible, and he paid him a fraction of what it would cost in real dollars compared to what it costs now to be able to purchase the company. So, so it's a joke. You know, he got what they call crony capitalism. Shout out to Ralph Nader, a big fan. Nader's Raiders from, from way back uh, here on the podcast. Um... It's crony capitalism is what it is, is what he, you know, was involved in. But he's so fucking old and senile and twisted up, and you know, the kind of libertarian-ass bullshit brain that he has. He truly believes that he bought the company fair and square from his dad. And so the only way that he would transfer it to his kids is they would have to buy it from him the same way. And it's not possible because they would be competing with fucking, like, Disney, Universal, you know, like... Big players, HBO, all these companies that are like billion dollar companies and these are just regular people. They're not going to ever have enough money because the media landscape has changed so much that like the the kind of figures that you're talking about are much too big. When, when Vince bought the company, it was feasible for a single person to own something because you had like Turner owning a fucking network, Ted Turner owning a fucking station and multiple, you know, companies and the Braves and all this stuff. But now you have these large conglomerated, like, corporate interests that are so big that no one person can own everything. You've got, like, Elon Musk, who's the richest man in the world with the amount of money that he has. And, like, all of his money is on paper. All of his money is tied up into multiple different companies. And most of it is theoretical money. It doesn't actually exist. And, you know, they're not leveraged that way to where they can compete with that. So Stephanie's never going to be able to buy the fucking company. But I do think that Vince is so psychotic that, like, he doesn't, he wouldn't respect anything but. He's not going to just leave it to them. He needs them to, like, prove that they deserve it by buying it from him. And it's not possible. So, yeah, I, I think that she's probably very smart to realize, like, this crazy old fucking man doesn't understand how anything works. And he legitimately, he buys into the American dream so much. And this is why we're fucked, is that there's a lot of people that have this brain disease that Vince has. They buy into this American dream so much, and they think that they really did something, that, like, they're going to destroy the fucking planet and the country, you know, as to a lesser extent, because they're so committed to this bullshit concept that was never true to begin with. Um, and I guess I'm I'm done now with, my, with this tirade. I mean, yeah, I think that's all there is to say there is that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, WWE and its relationship to capitalism and how Vince McMahon's brain is so warped by American capitalism and all these different ways that manifest in the daddy issues and how he treats his how he treats his uh, his children. It's it is fucking fascinating. Like, I don't think even culturally we talk about Vince McMahon the way that we should because not only is he, is he a despicable, awful human being that like the day he dies, we should celebrate, but 
he is like Richard Nixon level fucking demented. Yeah. It's it's terrible, it's disgusting, and it's evil. And I'm on record on here talking about that I think that Nixon is the worst president and the most racist president we've probably ever had. I think you you agree with me in some way. Yeah, but, uh, yeah I mean, <laughs> fucking hell. Um, but you mentioned daddy issues there, so it's time to transition to our next topic, uh, Quentin. we got to talk about Kendrick Lamar and his new album. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Can I say one thing about the album real quick? Please, like, real please. Quick. I mean, I really threw it out there as a joke, but go ahead. I know, I know you did, but it's like... Like, I have no problem with uh, saying I think Kendrick is the best rapper ever. Like, okay. I, like I, I really do feel that way. I have over the over time started to understand that like well like i like I always should have felt this way but like okay we we shouldn't be viewing kendrick as this black radical figure because he's just not like he's not but him tr- trigger warning for a second regarding sexual assault kodak black's dna was found on a rape kit like that's not alleged there's not a charges got dropped thing. Like his DNA was found on a rape kit. So for Kendrick to have this whole album that's talking about trauma and healing and all this kind of stuff and eventually getting the mother uh, uh, mother eye sober and talking about the abuse his mother faced and having his mother question him, him on if he was sexually abused and how that affected him and talking about like wanting people that were survivors of that kind of abuse to be healed and all that kind of stuff and for kodak black his dna found on a rape kit to be like a lead voice heard on the album is maybe one of the most frustrating things i've ever experienced in music like and there's other things i have issue with regarding this album but that is the main thing that i feel like there's a couple of things in which you can be saying here. Either you're saying that you think Kodak didn't do it, that he's innocent, or you're saying that Kodak did it, we should forgive him, or you're saying that you just don't know. And all three of those things are so cognitively dissonant that there's no excuse for it. Like, the more that I think about that, it, like, disturbs me even more, and this is even talking about the fact that, like, on Auntie Diaries, I feel like he just could have done it without the slurs. Yeah, just could have, just could have, just could have done it without it. I think I don't. If anyone's hurt or offended by his use of it, I get it. I particularly am not. But if like, but he just could have done it without it. And for me, it's just, I think it's so fucking insane to have this mother may I so, mother may I sober, and have that song talking about your mother being sexually abused and then have legitimately a confirmed sexual abuser as one of the lead voices for your album. So either Kendrick is so far fucking out that he thinks having a sexual abuser as one of these lead voices is somehow like what we should be doing as far as coming together, or he just doesn't think Kodak did it. And like I don't know which one it is, but either way, like it's really fucked me up since the album has come out. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it's and it's 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 interesting because you mentioned that, and I when I first you know heard people talking about it, people getting hyped for the album, they mentioned like how 
Kendrick has like you know surpassed a lot of the people that he came up with, um, including like Kodak Black and um, and Big Crit, and then people mentioning like oh he's probably got like a Nipsey song or a feature from Nipsey on here, and all this stuff, and then it doesn't show up, and there is no Big Crit, and you know and there is no Nipsey, but there is Kodak Black, and as you talked about with the content of the album. And then that's the person who you still feature and you don't feature a lot of other people who you came up with. It's it's very interesting uh, to think about in the context of, yeah, the message that's being sent. And that's another part of it is that I think that you talk about he's not a radical, he's not a radical, you know, musician, whatever. And I just think that he's a he is a, a phenomenal rapper, one of the best that's ever done it, as you talked about. And one song that I think really stands out and like I think made it clear to me that difference is he's not a radical and he's not expressly political. The the problem is is that in 2022, a black man, a black person in general, doing music, talking about a black experience that's not just the mainstream, is automatically like put into this this capsule, this framing of being political when it's not is a. Uh, we Cry Together, which I think is honestly my favorite song on the album. And it's not really a very good song. And I think that, um, what is it, Taylor Taylor Page is actually much better than Kendrick on the song. It's insanely gimmicky. And it's the kind of thing that you would expect from like a fucking, like a 90s to early 2000s kind of weird fucking trying too hard gimmicky thing. But it's really giving you this snapshot picture story of a relationship with real drama. And that's what Kendrick is. Kendrick is a is is someone who tells you stories and life and life and gives you pictures of things even if it's not his own life, but he expresses it emotionally that that actually hits you, and it's not about politics. It's about slice of life, and that's the thing I think that people get mixed up, is that they're expecting like a political message, but you're not getting a political message. You're getting a, a message about the human experience. Um, and the only other thing that stood out to me, other than the stuff that you've already talked about, is that Ghostface Killa's feature on this fucking album is dog shit. He's fucking terrible. I just, I cannot believe how yeah, bad yeah. his, his verse is. Yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> no, no, I, this album is pissing me off, man. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was upsetting. It's upsetting to me in general. And I just, like I said, I think that the song that I like the most on it, I don't even think Kendrick was the best part of the song. I thought that, uh, what was her name? Taylor. Uh, was like fucking she, she brought out some real emotion in the way that she was delivering her her verses and like i felt like something real was going on there um and then meanwhile like kendrick is doing his thing and the affinity the ending is really fucking cheesy and corny and shit but like i said the whole vibe of it was kind of corny so it kind of worked um either way you know what's <laughs> fucking wild is that i realized like another thing that bothered me about it is like good on him for opening up about like a like a sex addiction right like right. that's like damn that's like super vulnerable or whatever but also when we get to the outro it's almost kind of like hey man i know what my addiction is you still mad at me like why are you still mad like, exactly yeah <laughs> it's like oh what the fuck is going on right now <laughs> like it's yeah it's it's 100 percent just like well i said sorry so you're not allowed to be mad anymore yeah <laughs> yeah Oh man, I, uh, <laughs> this is such a weird experience for me to have. Like, other than, like honestly, like even more than Kanye, because like I like Kanye, but 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 like th- like Kendrick, like music kind of like spoke to me in ways at times, right? Like, sure, sure. This is just, man, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. 
I know it's. I mean, I've got I've talked gone off about the Kanye stuff on here before. I think that Kanye is actually one of like a, a, a very particular special kind of genius that I think historically people have referred to as a prophet. Um, I don't you know necessarily believe in like a higher power and all that stuff, but I do think that like some kind of major entity or energy speaks through him in a way that it doesn't speak through other people. So I don't even like think about him when it comes to like just being an artist. Um, but that said, yeah, like <laughs> I totally get the the connection to Kendrick and then this album really being a fucking insane letdown comparatively to like and that's not his fault again because part of it is to people expecting something from from Kendrick that's not really what he delivers. The, the one the one thing the one thing that I did appreciate and hope I, I doubt it'll work because people like never listen actually listen to these artists when I actually try to say what they mean is that he's saying I am not your say I am not this. I all these things and I think it's something we have to go back and look back on and analyze ourselves is that was the Pepper Butterfly like a critique of fucking capitalism? Like not really. Like he talked about capitalism how it affects like people, specifically in black neighborhoods, but is there like a, oh we need to band together and do this and do that? Like no, it's it's, it's not that. That's not what's going on in there. It's not this critique of capitalism. It's not this socialist album it's it's, it's, not, it's none of these things kendrick is not a black radical kendrick is not someone that has the understanding of these things the way in which people like to pretend that he does and that's not like and i think that's the thing that i really that's not kendrick's fault if people put him on that pedestal that's a different thing with like celebrity culture and how we do with celebrities and like the things we project onto celebrities same thing with j cole just like just because these guys make observations about life doesn't make them activists doesn't mean they have activist intentions doesn't mean that they have even like the slightest understanding of that and you may want them to be better at that because of their platforms but we also shouldn't be looking for two celebrities for these kinds of things and the fact that it took kendrick 10 years to be able to say like i might have done whatever but i'm not your savior j cole might have might have done whatever but he's not your savior is the best thing that he said on here because it's 100% the truth in the think the hard reality that people need to accept about guys like that is that they're just rapping about their own like life observations that's it they are not they're, they're not doing anything other than that and if you resonate with if you resonate with it relate to it find it thought-provoking whatever that's great but that's all they're doing and that's all they're trying to be and trying to put it and trying to make it anything other than that all you're doing is setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah. No, I mean, most art is bourgeoisie. And, you know, yeah. especially, like, written word has historically always been insanely bougie as an art form. Because it, as you talked about, it, they, they may come close to talking about material conditions, but they almost always lack um, clash consciousness. And that's where the issue comes up, where it's just like... Okay, yes, as I talked about, Kendrick is good about slice of life and giving you a portrait, a posted stamp image of what it's like and, and speaks to something truly there. Like I tell you, I talked about materialism, like the, the real existence, the stuff that is there, but does not take the next step of actually expressly connecting it to the clash consciousness and the fact that um, that these things and these hardships and all of these issues are caused by you know against social strata and money and capitalism yeah so yeah art is is bourgeois and the reason why art is fucking bourgeoisie also is because you have to have free time to to appreciate art it, when you're you know 
on the lower class and, and you're barely scraping alive to survive, you don't really have time to sit around and listen to music or look at paintings or read books. As, you know, you're, you're a lot of times much too busy worrying about getting food on the table and you're not spending time on this stuff. So, so yeah, again, art is expressly pretty much always bourgeoisie and uh, Kendrick Lamar is no exception to that, unfortunately. Um, any final thoughts on, <laughs> on the, the Kendrick album that we were not supposed to be talking about? <laughs> you know what? Like, I like the West Coast Pro Show. But sure. like, I think this just gives, I think this just gives us time to like talk less about West about the West Coast Pro Show, exactly. which I'm fine with. Um, I was, I mean, did, I was gonna ask you if you've been. Well, go ahead. Oh yeah, go go. I was, I was, I was didn't know if you were gonna ask about the Daniel Makabe match or something else. Yeah, did you watch the Daniel Makabe match? I did. I finished Daniel Makabe versus Brian Keith. Uh, I was gonna ask if you right watched the rest on. of the Super Juniors. No, I have. I haven't yet. I just saw okay. uh, the GIF. The Francisco Akira doing his move yeah. and Tanner's quote tweet that got people really upset. Beautiful. Got people riled up. It was good. Um, how about AEW last night? Did you watch any of that? I saw the Warlow and MJF segment because those are pretty much must watch. And, and then the scary stuff with Danielson, hoping okay. hoping that he's yeah, which is not hurt. It's a work. Yeah. It's reported as a work by the Observer, which is crazy. Okay, okay, I, okay. I tweeted this out, and I think I stand by it. I, I don't. Nobody, I think, noticed it or said anything. But this is the first time that I've ever seen Brian Danielson fall for the trap that a lot of other wrestlers usually do, which is thinking too hard and trying to be Brian Danielson. Um, because why the fuck did he do this insane, stupid work that doesn't do anything? It, it's something that someone who's trying to be like Brian Danielson would normally do, and it's not something that Brian Danielson would do. Um, it was very odd. The only other thing from Rampage that I would recommend is Adam Page versus. Uh, Konosuke Takashida. Yeah, uh, yeah, I plans on that for sure. Check that one out. This is what I wanted from the page title reign, and we're not getting enough of it. Hopefully, we start getting more of this. And and Soup is delivering like me and you probably would expect him to, but like a lot of other haters probably wouldn't have. Um, but the haters and losers are going to be shut up very soon when they start to see Takashita getting pushed in AEW. Either way, maybe next week we can do a little bit more AEW focus because the pay per view is coming up. Um, I assume we'll review the pay-per-view. I'm going to the Dynamite after the pay-per-view when they're at the Forum here in L.A., so hopefully I get something big there, um, seeing the triumphant still champion Adam Page coming uh, to L.A. and not CM Punk. Um, but yeah, um, either way, Daniel Makabe versus Brian Keith, like you said, you finished it before we started. Um, I'm of a lot of different minds on this match, but what did you think? I, I, re- I really liked it. I enjoy Dan and these kind of style clash settings. I think that Brian Keith is obviously like really straightforward and kind of gritty and, and, and smash mouth and can get on the it can get on the mat and do things and is solid at it. But these kind of matches, like the hood foot match, that take, that take Dan out of that element and comfort zone a little bit. I I liked it. I thought it was very solid, and I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing these two have more matches in the future. But I feel like you probably had more to say about this, just based off like the Pacific Northwest having such good talent. But when is the scene, other than Defy, going to catch up when it comes in terms of production value? Because, like, what the fuck? Like, like, what, like, what the fuck at this point? It's everywhere, and I don't think the SOS the West footage was bad, but I think that the three two one style like live commentary being heard all, be, being heard through the through the venue 
stuff works for three, two, one because the crowd is engaged and lively and is full and is packed and it's a great atmosphere and it works. When you're doing it just to do it and there isn't that kind of engagement with the crowd or atmosphere, it's weird. It makes the presentation of the match feel a little off and you have these two great wrestlers in there and I don't know. I feel like it, it takes away from it a little bit when you do that kind of thing wrong. So is there a bigger point to, that you want to make about the Pacific North Northwest like presentation uh, issues? Uh, I mean, how much time do you have? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's a ton of issues with that. SOS is clearly positioning itself as the the predecessor to three two one battle more more than any other company. Um, you know, I don't know how much of this is out there, but behind the scenes, it's being run by a lot of people that are three two one adjacent. You know, people who were involved in three two one battle, not necessarily the original brain trust and the people who got in a ton of trouble. But Pitfall Jones is one of the main people in charge of the company, right? And and they're trying to clearly do the same thing, and they're not. I won't say they're not succeeding because they definitely there's some stuff that hits it. The home team versus um. Makabe and Lee Moriarty match was like it really hit it. It was the vibe that you want from something like this. Um, watch, watch me be wrong, and that was like six CC or whatever five CC. Um, I thought it was SOS, but I might be wrong. Either way, um, but SOS has hit the right notes before. But yeah, this the building feels more like a regular ass wrestling building. Three two one was special because it was really felt like it was being run in like a bar freak show kind of space that didn't makes sense like the kind of place that you would see um i saw someone describe it as steampunk stripping um which is burlesque uh like that's the spot that 321 battle used to run in and this is not it and the commentary over the loudspeaker made sense because it felt like the commentator was like was explaining what the fuck is going on to the to the drunken rubes in the crowd but in this match the, the commentary did not seem to help get the crowd in line um from the jump i thought it was interesting because you got brian keith here like you talked about, I think he's phenomenal at what he does. I think he's amazing as a character. And I think that he's one of these guys, he's like in that Ishii mold where I think people overlook how good what he's doing is actually his character work. And they just think like, oh, he's a hard ass and he's no nonsense. And all he does is fight. And it's the Thatcher thing too. You know, it's that, it's the gimmick. The gimmick is I'm not a gimmick, you know, no gimmicks needed, yeah. right? But it's, it's still a gimmick and people have to realize it's a gimmick. And Brian Keith rocks because of that gimmick that he plays. Um, with that said, he also is not used to dealing with this kind of fucking crowd. And so when the crowd starts out the match by chanting like, oh, you know, we want to check his shirt, check his shirt. Brian Keith plays along with it and he tells the referee, oh yeah, check his shirt. And as he checks his shirt, he gives Makabe a little kick in the ass. But if you notice from there, now the crowd is like, okay, we're in charge. We're running the show. So they keep chanting, telling the, the them what to do. And after that, now Brian Keith is kind of like, ah, fuck, you know, I went along with him once and now they keep telling me I just got to go with it. Makabe is the one who basically says, fuck this. I'm not listening to this. And that was the part that kind of hurt. The, it, I don't say it hurt. It hurt the match for me because from the opening, it felt like, OK, Makabe is supposed to be the babyface. Brian's the heel. But then Makabe has to basically reprimand the crowd, has to try to get the crowd back in line and and work heel a little bit to be like grumpy and mock them and basically be like no we're in charge he does the um he gets an arm ringer and then he does his spot i love when he does this he's mocking the crowd like clapping the hand like you're doing the fire up clap sequence that the crowd does but it also like the way it works is it's he's being a heel he's mocking the crowd but he's also training them to do the claps 
to get the baby face to fire up, right? So it's perfect. Like, this is not a wrestling crowd. Teach them how wrestling crowds are supposed to act. Uh, he does this. It goes back and forth, but it just it feels like they switch back and forth from heel and babyface a little bit too much. Um, and I just think it's really tough when you got Keith starts telling the crowd, fuck you, I hate you. He's yelling, fuck you, to the commentary. And I just feel like once you get to that point, you're like pretty fully heel. But then by the end of the match, they're trying to push him as a, a valiant babyface overcoming Makabe. So I just, I didn't really quite get that. Um, so yeah, that was my big issues. That said, like all of the work and the wrestling was extremely tight, was extremely nice. Um, and everything that they did in the match was great. The crowd, it's just so difficult dealing with fucking fighting uphill with the crowd, not being a wrestling crowd, not knowing how they're supposed to act, not like, you know, they're trying to dictate the pace of things. They're trying to tell you what to do. I love when Makabe, you know, are you new yelling at the fucking guy in the crowd who's telling him to take his shirt off. But I could just tell Dan was pissed and you could tell how mad he was and he caught himself before he really went off on the guy um because i'm just like okay we're not gonna get a joe black situation going on here where makabe's gonna start fighting fans um but he caught himself before he got to that level um but yeah like that was bullshit and then yes the, the commentary over the loudspeaker and then the ring the ring is just squeaking and fucking it's so obnoxious how loud it is the lighting is dog shit it's all purple and it's hard to see what the fuck is going on like it's just like you said the 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 presentation and the presentation in the pacific northwest is really fucking hard to watch the recent new show like i mean this shit looked like sub like really really low level and new used to look okay um not new i'm sorry uh wac whack without without a cause their recent live stream was fucking really fucking hard to watch new shows always look good so i have to give them a shout out for being pretty solid but yeah um not the Pacific Northwest, but a little bit south from there, but still north for me. Uh, West Coast Pro running in uh, in Oakland, um, probably Oakland, right? Not San Francisco. They're not. Oh, they are. I guess for some reason I thought Sacramento, but I don't know. No, no. It's. I think it's probably Oakland. It might be like um, uh, uh, it might be Berkeley or something, but but uh, they uh. they call it San Francisco, but I'm sure it's not actually San Francisco. Um, either way. Uh, ill-mannered, like you said, not, not a ton to talk about here. Um, I guess let's just go down the line and skip through opening trios. Fine. I don't care. Under 10 minutes, whatever. You have anything to say? I mean, no, it's just weird. It's just weird to look at Thor and Snow still. Like, God, what the, yeah. what yeah. happened? Like, <laughs> it's just weird, man. Like yeah. he, like they're, they're good. And I love the, I love, I love their finish still. And, I like see I like seeing Reno's come. It's just always jarring. I was like, how did these guys just just no one was oh. interested? Oh. Just, all right, fine, okay, they cool. I guess TNA run. They've been wrestling for twenty years. You would think that they could get something, but no. And then you got the conglomerate, who I think all three, but especially Zoe and D Rogue, have a ton of talent, great yeah. presence, and are good wrestlers. And they're just being used like this. And then I. From what I can tell, these guys are having great matches, but they're having great matches in places like Hood Slam, or um, there's a place that's called like Alpha Pro. Like, there's other great Northern California companies, and you can't find the footage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and maybe they get bigger pushes at West Coast Pro eventually, but it's interesting to look at this card, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that these guys are bad wrestlers. We we already know what's up with Kevin Blackwood and Tyler Alexander. Like, sure. they're just like the the anointed guys right now. Vinny Massaro, whatever whatever he knows about West Coast Pro, he gets all these fucking big like big spots yeah. in, in important bookings, whatever he knows. 
But like, fuck, like something like Levi Shapiro like stands out, right? And nothing wrong with Levi Shapiro. Like I like him, but it's like Levi Shapiro versus JD Drake. Like I could easily see versus like one of the conglomerate guys. Yeah. Like having like having that spot if they put some effort if they put some effort behind them, or like even like Jarrell Nelson having that spot if yeah. you put some effort behind them. And again, I'm not saying any of these guys are uh, are are awful. Like I think my thoughts are pretty clear on Tyus Alexander and Kevin Blackwood, but it's just I don't know, man. Like I'm curious to see if the, if those guys get like bigger pushes down the line as West Coast Pro continues to get bigger and become a marquee destination. But I feel like that's just it's more likely they stay as lower card guys or maybe wind up stop getting booked altogether. Yeah, which will be bullshit. But yeah, um, up next we got a trio or a three way match that was originally a singles match, but Shaza McKenzie gets added last minute. Billy Stark, Stark Sheik, Shaza McKenzie. Um, this was good actually for a trios. It was kind of, or not a tri- Why do I keep saying trios? A three way match, three way dance. Um, you know, I guess it wouldn't really be thrown together more than any other match, but you know, had it on someone. Um, like we talked about Billy Starks. I think, you know, she's been looking better. Dark Sheik, I am a fan of. Um, even if she's not the best wrestler in the world, I think that she's got something and she's got. She's got some Sabu in her. She's got some uh, shit just <laughs> might look fucking crazy, but, you know, it might not look the cleanest, but it looks wild. It looks dangerous. It looks, you know, scary. And at the end of it, she kind of pulls it off. So I like that. I like someone who's just on the edge. And Shazza, we've talked about Shazza, um, better wrestler than she is a tweeter, but, you know, in here, fine. But, I mean, again, like you said, like, nothing is blowing the fucking doors off up until this hmm. point. This is fine, I guess. I thought it was like pretty clunky, honestly. Like I like the personalities involved, and I thought this was like pretty clunky and like almost like mostly bad, probably. But I, th- I thought it was cool to see Billy like stack them up and get the win like that. I I, I did I did appreciate that visual. <laughs> yeah, getting that Roman Reigns push. Um, yeah, I love that. Up next, I mean, you talked about Jorel Nelson, and he could be in that spot with the J.D. Drake match, and he definitely could, but honestly, when we talk about independent wrestling right now, and basically the only good tag team in all of the indies being uh, Violence is Forever, I think it's pretty easy to overlook West Coast Pro, like West Coast Wrecking Crew, if you really were talking about all of the tag teams on the indies, are probably in that conversation for like a top 10 tag team on the indies. That's how fucking... Yeah. I mean, I hate to say that, it's a super depleted, you know, scene, but... This is a great fucking tag team that doesn't get booked as much as they should outside of New Japan Strong, which is great for them. And, you know, whatever. Like, Royce has been on the podcast, and we talk here and there, but I'm, like, legitimately honest when I say that I think that these guys are a kick-ass tag team, and there's no fucking good tag teams. And if you, you know, ask Casey Spinelli, Violence is Forever is no good. So, uh, <laughs> there's there goes them. But, yeah, these guys, I mean, top ten is probably being really nice, and I could probably say that, like, for the American Indies, West Coast... Wrecking Crew could be like a top five tag team. These guys yeah, are... Fine, uh, fine. You're, not, you're not wrong. I don't think you're wrong here. No, they can do this where they were selling pretty big here. They can do like big fucking wild brawls in the feud that they've been having with Reno Scum. They can do the stuff that they're doing with Team Filthy in uh, New Japan Strong where they're fucking like heels. Like they can do everything and they do it really solidly. They can basically fight big. They can fight small. They can, like I said, they can sell big. They can, they can also be fucking big tough guys. Like these guys are really solid and then we've seen the stuff that Royce Isaacs can do in singles and shoot style Jarrell Nelson um I've seen you know in the singles with 
Jarrell Nelson as like more of like pro style. He can get insane fucking pops and the crowd gets behind him super big. So yeah, I mean, this is a great tag team and it's just, it's kind of crazy to think that they're not, they're on new Japan strong every fucking week. They're hooked up to the biggest you know group in the company, but realistically like people do not talk about them and do not really think about them as like that. They deserve to be getting bookings all over the country and probably all over the world at this point. Um, so yeah, anyways, but the match itself is fine. The Regis is pretty good. I like both these guys and I've always yeah, liked I thought both the, these the, guys. Uh, yeah, I thought they, they were really good as a team. Yeah. This honestly might be the best match on the show, but it's not like a hugely it's, great show. You know? God damn. No, that, yeah. Jesus Christ, that might be right. <laughs> Holy shit. It's like this not might like, be the best match of the show. It's not like to say like, oh, write home about it, but like, you know, it's a really solid tag team match. Everything looks good. And like they tell a really basic story with a bunch of the crowd, like, four the, the crowd the crowds in the crowds into it. Yeah, the, like crowd the crowd fucking loses it. Yeah. Yeah, the crowd's actually really into it. Uh, wow, god damn. Yeah. West Coast Pro is fucking weird, huh? <laughs> yes. Christ. Yeah. Um, oh, man, this like made me. This, <laughs> is that like a weird like, epiphany? Yeah, but this made me like so less enthused. Like, I already wasn't enthused about it. This made me so much less enthused to even go through the rest of the show, like, at the realization of that. Like, <laughs> 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 holy fucking shit. Yeah. It was a good match. I enjoyed it. I really like it. It really was uh, very, very solid. I thought I liked Bateman and Dutch. Um, I haven't watched much of ROH uh, since like the Righteous became a thing, so I haven't seen much of it. And I thought that they had really good tag team chemistry here. And like, you know how they keep running back all these different Reno Scott matches. Like, I would love to see like more of like the Righteous versus West Coast Wrecking, Wrecking Crew. That's yeah. something that we could get. I, like, I, I would like that. Yeah, um, honestly. Honestly, Bateman shows up in New Japan Strong. I was just talking about New Japan Strong, but Bateman's in New Japan Strong pretty regularly. Dutch could easily be in New Japan Strong and would be just as good. Like, these guys don't need to be, like, this ROH team thing because they're not part of, like, the Honor No More stable that's going on in Impact, really. So, like, Mm. yeah, these guys could be a tag team and they could continue this and they could do it in other places. But, yeah. AJ Gray versus Robert Martin is probably the second best match on the show. Yes, I was going to say like I w- I said that about the tag team match, but then I was like, actually, I honestly really liked this. I thought the yeah, it might, great, yeah, it might be, yeah, it might, yeah, I really like this. I realized, and I think I've heard this before about AJ before. I think he's just maybe not a main event guy. I thought that he's bad in those spots, but I think he's meant to be this kind of like firecracker in the middle of the show kind of guy like the Fatu match is good the juicy for the juicy for now match from earlier this year is good and it'll have like other like really good random spots on gc on gcw cards all of them in death matches all that kind of stuff is aj just not a main event guy and like i think it also it gets taken as an insult when you say someone isn't but i feel like aj is just better off in this eight nine minute range at most 15 minute range where he gets to beat the shit out of somebody. And it's not like he should be limited to that. He can sell very well and all that, and all that stuff. I don't think AJ's a bad baby face. He's really, really engaging with the crowd and the crowd is into him from all these different aspects. And like, I would love to see him maybe able to reach out in different ways and like having feuds, like remember like the Kurt Stallion stuff and all like, all, like you know, like every, like everything like that. But I think that, AJ is just perfect for what for what this 
role is. Like this guy that's like a spark plug on any roster, on any show, and you throw him on there and you're guaranteed to get like usually like a three-star, three-and-a-quarter-star match just based on the fact that he's engaging and charismatic and he's going to go out there and beat the shot to somebody. Like he has, he has a really, really, really solid high floor and maybe his ceiling won't ever be there, but it doesn't make him like not a valuable guy. He's, and this is a thing that doesn't exist anymore, but he is that, you know, Stan Hansen, Terry Gordy, Dick Murdoch, Guy Jean Terror. And that's what he's really good at. And those guys, when booking used to be able to work this way, those guys can come into a territory, they can whoop ass, they can own, they can kick a bunch of ass. Especially, yeah, you should even I should even probably even talk about Memphis, but I'm just not I've never been a big Memphis guy, but Memphis used to be able to book these guys right too. Um, where you have a big whoop ass guy who shows up, kicks the shit out of everyone, and they can be the top of the card. They can be the champion, they can win the title, but they aren't an ace. And that's the difference. You know what I mean? They're not truly ever an ace. And that's where it is. And when you say, like, he's not meant to be a main eventer, that's where people get confused when you say that now because booking doesn't work like it used to. It's not that AJ Gray can't be a main eventer. It's that AJ Gray can't be an ace. He can win the title, and he can be at the top of the card, but what he has to be is that invading figure who won the title because he's a force to be reckoned with, but you know that he's not really the standard bearer of the company know that he's not really the guy that the company's built around. He has the champion now. He has the championship now because nobody can figure him out. Nobody can stop him. He's a force of nature. He can rule. He can kick everyone's ass. He's Vader. Same thing as like Vader, right? Like, but he's not, the crowd is not fucking coming to see him win. The crowd is not coming, you know, built around him. They don't, you don't invest in him emotionally because you, you relate to him and he's not your guy. But you do, you do pay to come see him because you want to see someone overcome the monster. And that's, I think, what AJ Gray's best spot would be. But we don't have that kind of booking anymore. The companies don't work this way. You don't get to tour around and go to different you know, promotion, go to different territories, go to different countries and all that. But AJ would be perfect for something like that. Um, and that's exactly what I think, you know, kind of what you're saying there. And this match, like I said, one of the best things I've seen from Martyr because Martyr gets to play... Um, underdog, he's trying really hard. He's working super hard. He's getting the shit kicked out of him. Um, selling big, having some offense that looks good. And that's really what Martyr's good at. And it's, it's kind of crazy. He's got like some unique stuff, but I think that when, when they let Martyr kind of do his own thing and think too much and, and try to run the match and give him too much time and all this other stuff, like it's just, some of this stuff can get a little too cute. Um, but if he's just doing this and his, basically his offense is just like, Brief flurries here and there that look cool. He's pretty good at that. Um, he, he has a he has a good he has a good brain for wrestling for like his age, but it's still like yeah, you, someone should probably like still lead you around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's not that's not an insult. Like for however old he is, like he's a fucking baby, and that like he for what his age is and for what he's into based off social media and what he pays attention to, he has a really good head on his shoulders when it comes when it comes to wrestling and paying attention to it, but still just you think you get something but you really don't. And you sometimes you need an AJ Gray to just chop you until you slow it down, brother. Yeah. yeah. Alright, now 
this is the main event of the evening. The match that we've all come here to talk about. Titus Alexander versus Will Ospreay. I don't know. Is the match bad? Like, kind of. But can I really point to anything in particular that I hated? I, I mean, no. No, I just hated it. I just hated the way that it existed. It didn't make me feel anything. They did a lot of stuff. I can't tell. I don't like anybody. I don't feel like they ever make me actually like either of them. They're just out here wrestling and, sh- and- I told I told you how I told you exactly how this is gonna go. I yeah. told you it was gonna be Will Osprey's gonna be the heel and it's gonna be like Tyus Alexander is our uh, is an asshole. He's here, but he's like our asshole. And like they did nothing to like. Uh, geez, I, yeah, I I knew how this match was gonna look. Like I could just imagine it. And it looked exactly how I could imagine it. And it was objectively done well in terms of like spot execution. Like I can't say like it was bad or clunky or not smooth no. or whatever. Like 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 no, like in the like objective metrics of accomplishing his goal, like it did just that for these for this like athletic for this athletic student versus master whatever type of match. And I knew exactly what it was going to look like. And I could not be bothered to care for it because they did absolutely nothing to make me want to see Tyus Alexander win the match. No, like, I, it's, it's pretty much entirely based off the fact, oh, Tyus, Tyus Alexander versus Will Ospreay is a dream match. And if it's not a dream match for you, then it's just, then there's nothing, there's nothing for you there. No, and it worked because you got people tweeting about it as if, like, Tyus Alexander is the second coming. And just how great he is here going up against, you know, Will Ospreay, who's... Again, like you said, I bet there's not a single spot that was out of place. Everything was smooth. They they put this together behind, you know, before they got out there throughout the day. They Every move, every spot, every fucking face, every camera flip, every hair flip, everything was planned down to the T. And that's the thing is you can feel it. As I watch it, I'm not... There's nothing happening here that's authentic. Everything out here fucking hate to say it choreographed (laughs) like everything here was perfectly executed everything was planned everything went through exactly how they how they wanted it to and i just get nothing from it absolutely zero from either guy i you know i put this out there and like i fucking meant it i said in the past i've compared titus alexander to josh bodum but this match disproved that because josh bodum was able to have a good match with will osprey um and Titus Josh Alexander Bodum is, Josh Bodum is such a good comparison Jesus Christ I was offended because I saw someone compare Tyus Alexander to 2002 AJ Styles yeah and I was like oh I like this guy like the person that tweeted it so I really don't feel like trying to like get into an argument about this I'm like it's ridiculous have you have you have you, have you seen have, have you seen 2002 AJ Styles <laughs> like yeah. Are you really sure about that one? I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to bring that up because, yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about. And I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm a little bit more trepidatious on that guy. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, I don't, I don't dislike him. Um, and I listen to his podcast and I know that he's a writer for PWI and all that stuff. But yeah, it just, it does seem very, um, it seems very much like you're just trying to hype things up. <laughs> I'll say this, and this is like 
former guest. I've had him on podcasts. I've talked to him. Good friend, you know, for a long time. But it's that Alan Forel syndrome. You know, it's that. Have you has he, have you ever seen a wrestling match that you didn't like? You know, and that's the thing that I kind of I kind of you start to question that when you have the people who, who everything that they've ever seen is the greatest match of all time. You you really don't get a lot of negative um, reviews on anything. But yeah, like. Josh Bodum. The bad Josh Bodum is not the guy you want to be. Um, which I do miss Josh Bodum, man. He was good. I liked him. I liked him so much. He was because because he was reckless. He was crazy. He had some of that loose cannon. You get none of that here. Nothing feels fucking dangerous here. Everything feels, as I said, like it was planned. If, if, if Titus Alexander had more like fucking Davy Richard in him, you know what I mean? Like just like just a little bit. Or just yeah. a little bit of Roderick, just, just like a tad of Roderick Strong in him, just like a, a little bit, a little Austin Aries, like that, like, <laughs> like, like just a little bit, you know, you know what I mean? Like, his it's dad just personality. is a psychopath. His dad is a legitimate <laughs> psychopath. He just needs to have a little bit of his own father in him, and he could be. But you don't even get any of that. Holy shit. I need to see the real shit from this guy. I need to see the real guy because I know that he's a fucking. I know this motherfucker is the kind of guy who probably took a Zippo lighter to a fucking, uh, you know, a bull weevil or something outside of his fucking house. So, you know, this is that kind of little freaky sociopath who was torturing ants on the playground. You know, but he doesn't <laughs> put any of that into his wrestling. I need to see that shit. I need to see that the freak that I know he is. Either way, like I said, this match, this is that Dave Meltzer shit. If I'm going to give it yeah. a Dave Metzl star rating, I'm going to say it's five stars because they hit all the stuff and they did it super smooth and there was tons of flips. But when you talk about some real shit, you talk about getting emotion and you talk about actual wrestling, this is like a fucking dud. This is dog shit. And this is the stuff that, that makes me crazy when you hear like people saying that Will Ospreay is wrestler of the year, greatest of all time. It's like... What are you fucking judging? Are we, ta- are we watching the Olympics? Is this... Is this like fucking gymnastics? I hate, you know, I sound like a fucking 90 year old man. I don't mind flips. Best of the Super Juniors. I asked you about, have you seen it? Teton. I'm like, why the fuck is this guy not getting booked everywhere? He's so good. And I've been asking that for a while. And so much so that I stopped even paying attention to him. But in the Best of the Super Juniors, I'm like, oh my fucking God, the stuff that he can do. I don't mind flips. I don't mind, you know, you know, gymnastics, all this stuff. But make it feel like a fucking wrestling match. And that's not what you're getting here. This just feels like uh, an exhibition. Um, either way, moving on. You mentioned him earlier, Levi Shapiro versus J.D. Drake. This is fine, but we've seen what J.D. Drake can do. And when you don't give me something, you know, at the le- at that level, and you're at this point in the card, you're in the top three matches in the card, and you're giving this with J.D. Drake... Like you said, Levi, is this where you're supposed to be? Is this brother-brother stuff? Or are you supposed to be on the undercard? And you mentioned it, but like, should D-Rogue be in this match? Should Alpha Zoe be in this match? Because me, like I said, when I saw D-Rogue live, and I was, or not D-Rogue, well, both of them, but when I saw Alpha, Alpha Zoe live, he's the motherfucker I want to see wrestling J.D. Drake. Because I think we could see something there. But instead we get this. Do you have any thoughts? It's a, it sounds good. On, it's, it's something that sounds good on paper, and I think Levi Shapiro, like, works up to 
what someone brings out of him. Like I thought the AJ versus Levi Shapiro match on the last West Coast Pro Show, that review that we good uh, that we did was good. But I think that AJ brings a certain level of intensity to intensity with him at all times. And JD Drake, we know he can do it, but that's not a consistent thing with him. Like as talented as JD is, I think we can both say that JD can be prone to just phoning it, phoning it at times and not always bringing that level of intensity that is needed to take something to that next level. And maybe that was not the plan or the design for this. Well, I could also see an argument that people that some people just see West Coast Pro as an easy payday. Um, if, if like if I really wanted to like get deep into my conspiracy bag, but. Sure. I, it, it was fine. I feel like this should have been better, though. Like I've seen, like I saw AJ versus Levi, and I feel like there's no reason why this couldn't have been as good. And I just don't think it got to the got to that level. No, I mean I I agree with you there, and I think it is probably something to do with both guys not being not pushing as hard as they could have, and that's just a great way to describe it. Um, follow that up next match: Kevin Blackwood versus Timothy Thatcher. Um, this is another one where it's really tough to, to you know, take it easy on someone when you're going against somebody who who has the track record of a Thatcher. Um, that said, I mean it is Thatcher, so there's tons to love here, and there's a lot of great Thatcher stuff here, um, like really a ton. But Quentin, what did you think? I'm fucking sick of Kevin Blackwood. Yes, I'm, I'm sick, sick of, this of him shit, getting man. fucking dream matches. I'm sick of him getting sick of this places shit, that man. a lot of good I'm wrestlers sick of, yeah. I'm fucking sick of this shit, man. I, I'm so goddamn tired of it. He, I don't like doing this, but I think he, he's going on the list of people that I just... I'm not doing it. I'm not watching... The Gresham match, I've had enough people that I trust and, and like and talk to praise us to where like I'll go watch the Gresham match. But I'm sorry. After this, I'm fucking done, man. I can't do it. I can't do this anymore. I'm gonna come on here and say the exact same thing every fucking time. There is nothing to him at all. Nothing at all. He's not that great of a of a of, of a of a kicky shoot adjacent style guy. He doesn't sell that well. He's not that good of a heel if he works if he works heel. Like his facial expressions aren't great. I sorry. I don't have it. There's nothing for me. There's nothing there. There's nothing that I find interesting about Kevin Blackwood. Like, literally nothing. I don't know what I'm supposed to gather from the fact other than people think he's hot and he has tattoos. Like, I, no, like, no. I, really, like, I, like I really don't know what I'm supposed to be, supposed to be get, gaining or getting from watching Kevin Blackwood constantly in these big matches not show up at all or feel like he belongs at all or if he was in, in the ring with people feel like they're performing down in order to match him or what they think of him because they must not think he's very good if they like to, to, to get some of these performances that we've gotten from people like i don't get it i will never get it hopefully he gets better at some point but it's not like it's like a lack of seeing kevin blackwood i've seen kevin blackwood and i've been aware of kevin blackwood for like three or four years at this point so it's not like I've just like haven't seen the guy. I'm waiting for him to get better, and he has gotten better in the last couple of years. I'll say that, I guess. But like, Jesus fucking Christ! But I'm I'm tired of this. I'm tired of it. I don't care how this sounds. I watched him in these big spots all the time, and literally, 
every time, as far as his individual performances go, literally always a fucking dud and nothing that I've ever left with being impressed by with Kevin Blackwood. Not one single time. Not one time. I don't get it. Not one time. Jesus fucking Christ. Yes. Um, And you mentioned it there, but like, you know, the idea that it's because he's attractive. I'm sorry, but if you're looking for, you know, queer baiting straight boys, Robbie Eagles is much better than Blackwood for that. Um, And if you're just, if you're into like men, hot men, Timothy Thatcher is way fucking more sexy than, than Blackwood is in this match. Like, I'm sorry, but Thatcher just delivers daddy, just fucking grapple me daddy energy way bigger than Blackwood. So if you want like twinky metrosexual kind of attractiveness from a straight guy, Blackwood doesn't even really give you that um, as, as good as there are others who do it. And then if you just want like burly, like actual, like fucking like man's man energy, he doesn't give you that. So I don't know the idea that the, that the, the selling point for Blackwood is that he's hot. It's not there for me. Um, there, I, I'm not going to lie. There are some pictures. There's some looks that work good for him. Um, there's some angles. He's a MySpace, uh, he's a, he's a MySpace sexy boy, but, uh, otherwise, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I definitely, I definitely could get MySpace energy for sure. <laughs> yeah. But he's not like a super attractive guy. Not to me. I mean, maybe other guys just fucking, or people in general just fucking go crazy for him, but I don't get it. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I feel like, it, I feel like in general, you're probably the outlier here because they're, there's no fucking way there's literally no way in which people nah man no fuck that there's no way i'm planting my flag on this one there's no way because you cannot tell me what he actually does well nothing there's no there's no fucking way you're a liar you're a liar if you you try to tell me what kevin blackwood does well (laughs) you know what he's the best at that nobody else has has is as good at as him is being friends with daniel garcia um, and that's a fucking shoot, brother. I'm sorry, but yeah, like the guy is just, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. We've talked about it. He's the, he's a, he's the hollow, you know, he's, his, his soul does not exist. He lives in the sunken place. He's not a fucking real person. And it sucks because he keeps getting this kind of stuff. And there's we already talked about it. There's tons of other people on this card who could have had a much better match, even, Something like, <laughs> this is a throwback, Quentin. Um, do you remember the the old school versus new school podcast that we did back in the day on the PCPN <laughs> network? Uh, I do. <laughs> Tyler Bateman versus Timothy Thatcher match that I recommended on that show one week for Chad to watch would have been a better match than what we got here uh, from old Premier Wrestling. So shout out to Premier, um, RIP to a legendary Northern California promotion there. But yeah, Blackwood Stinks main event. Vinny Massaro versus Biff Busick. Biff rules. Vinny was game. Blading. The blood was solid. The fight. Everything back and forth was good. Like, comparatively to all the shit that we talk shit about, this at least felt like a fucking fight. You know, the crowd starts chanting Super Dragon, and Biff does the uh, does the curb stomp and gives the... Hor- horrible, the horrible, horrible, horribly does it. Doesn't even lock the legs. Sure, the sure. 
But, <laughs> but the, that's almost like that's almost the point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The point is this shit is like on the fly. This shit is happening in the moment. This is real. This was not planned. They didn't go out there with the idea that he was gonna do the curb stomp. You know what I mean? Like this is real shit. And that's this whole way through. It feels like a struggle. Feels like a fight the whole way through. Is there some stuff that's a little bit overwrought? Of course. Um, is it like the the smoothest? Yeah, sure. It's definitely not the smoothest. But like I said, everything feels legit. Everything feels like a struggle. You get some fucking color. You get some some actual like roughneck fighting back and forth. You get some technical grappling. I mean, honestly, this is really solid. I don't love it. We already talked about that. Me and you both probably liked uh, the tag match and the martyr match more than this for sure. But am I going to put it in the top three? I probably would have this as like the number three behind those yeah. two for the night. Um, the crowd brawling was solid. The chops and all that. Vinny getting taken out of his element. Great I think stuff. for me, it's. I think for me, it's like I feel just. I feel like if this meant to be this big baby face moment where Vinny, being a West Coast, West Coast Pro original, the guys on all the shows, all that kind of stuff. That if he's gonna get this big moment in the main event, it really didn't feel like Vinny like hammed it up the way that he should, and like hammed it up the way that he could have. And for some people, that may be a plus, but I feel like in this situation where you're like you're like you're Vinny Massaro, you've been you're a journeyman West Coast pro, like West Coast uh, wrestling perennial guy, but like you're facing fucking Biff Busick here. You're realistically everyone knows that the story is that you're not on that level. People can pretend that you are, but you're not in terms of your legacy and importance to like independent wrestling and the heights that you reached. So I feel like the better story here would have been like to just go further deep into like Biff kicking the absolute shit out of him and playing up heel and playing heel up for the audience. And he did a little bit and he flipped them off a couple of different times and it was refreshing to see heel Biff. But I think for the story that was right there on the table, especially for the slot they're in, like being the main event, being that they went for blood, all that kind of stuff. I didn't feel like Vinny was as sympathetic as he could have been. Honestly, I didn't feel like Vinny was as fiery as he could have been, like hamming, and he didn't ham up the selling in ways that he should that he could have or should have done. And Biff, for me, enjoying the novelty of seeing him work more aggressively and more heelish, I feel like he could have done a little bit more intensity-wise. So there's aspects of it that I liked, but I feel like they left a lot on the table. And when eventually when they get to the finish, I'm like, hey, like you guys had more there that I feel like you just didn't go for. Yeah, and that's really fair because, yeah, like, you're not, it's not like this is the first match in a series. They're not building to more. Um, so it's like, yeah, get it all out there um, and, and like, do everything you can, and they don't. And part of it, too, is, like, Vinny does blade and you get some color, but you don't get the leakers and the gushers that we've been getting recently. So yeah, you don't you don't, you don't get you don't get Biff like even working on the cut really. Yeah, you don't get any focus on the color. It's really just kind of there just to be there. It doesn't play in as you said. It, like after he gets color, he really kind of takes control and like like you said, he should ham it up and we should get some overwrought, like kind of selling of the, of the color selling. Cause this motherfucker does not blade. doesn't, we don't get color in Vinny Massaro. Matches. Yeah. Selling, selling blood loss, wobbly legs, like, yeah. like, like nothing. No, like nothing. We got like, it's right there. It's a fucking alley-oop right here. It's a fucking yeah. alley-oop. Vinny Massaro main eventing a West coast pro show facing Biff Busick, a bigger name than Vinny Massaro's 
ever been. Biff is fucking huge, gigantic, facing what people would call like a like a fat, out of shape guy. Biff should beat the shit out of him, flip out the crowd, work the cut, do whatever. Vinny wobbly leg sells, falling over, like hamming it up. Like, yeah, it's right fucking there, man. God damn, like, it's the way to tell the story, but you don't get any of that. You don't get the underdog that you should get, and like, yeah, and and. You know, whatever you cut, like a cut is a cut. You know, unfortunately, like <laughs> when you're when you're Vinny and you're Italian, pure Italian. Sometimes your blood is like thick, like ragu. That's what you, we're kind of getting gravy coming out of the out of his his pores. Unfortunately, so it's not flowing like you get from a from like a Moxley or or Slade or whatever. But yeah, like sell it, make it big, give us something over the top, and we just don't get that here. And as you said, like it feels like we leave a lot on the table there. When again, we're not coming back to this. I don't think. I don't think. Maybe. Maybe they run it again. I wouldn't mind it, and we could go like over the top. Man, just fucking, just run. Biff, just run Biff versus Robert Martyr for fuck's sake, or Biff versus AJ Gray. Like, sure. Yeah. God damn it! Like, this is right there. This is the main event. Yeah. Can you like no one? Like no one had this big. That no one had a big dramatic selling performance on this show anyway. This would have been the perfect time to like pull something like that out in the first place. Right. I swear. Look, man. I swear that these people are just viewing this as like an easy way to make money. I swear, man. <laughs> right. I don't look. I don't know. I'm the only one that feels this way or is getting that vibe. But I feel like I can tell what some of these performances that right. some what some of these people are kind of are, view, are viewing this as because yeah yeah. But I, I I've seen I think I've seen enough West Coast pro shows to make that judgment at this point. I I can't blame you, and I the owner is like the. Like the guy from like the fat kid deals or whatever, right? Like he's the he's like kind of an internet money guy. Um, if I remember correctly, do you? Do you know this? I have no I I have no clue about any of that. Yeah, I think that I think that the owner is like this guy who made a bunch of money off of some tech bullshit. That's like a fat kid deal. I think I know that JML is going to correct me on this, and honestly. Um, I'll put the call out there when we do the AEW pay-per-view review show JML if he wants to come on because he's done some AEW reviews with us in the past I'd love to have him on he could talk he could explain this to me but I'm pretty sure he knows Um, and yeah so I could definitely see people taking advantage of him but it's funny because this fucking company has a school you know what I mean like it's it's, they're trying to make it into a big thing and yeah like seeing people act like this and you kind of think it's like they're just making a payday doesn't feel great um either way yeah it it wasn't terrible like i said like but one thing and i i sent this out i have to stop i have to just stop referencing tweets i'm sorry i do this i (laughs) i don't want to i can't help myself i'm but uh the show did not have any of the Samoans or the you know the island guys. It didn't have Juicy Finau. It didn't have Jacob Fatu, and it just felt like that hurt the show a lot because the soul of the company was not there. And mostly it's Jacob, but Juicy definitely adds something to it. And like you got the conglomerate there, who I think are probably probably in that conversation as the soul of West Coast Pro and the and the and the back of the company. Yeah, AJ definitely. For sure, is part of that as well, but you know he's in a, a mid card kind of situation, and they're still telling the story with him after being the champion, and like 
we're just missing that that vibe in the top of the card where we actually have like the soul of the company coming through and shining through and really feeling like um like you know again like there's something there there's a backbone to the company and we just kind of are missing it here but instead we've got will osprey you know instead we've got biff Busick. instead we've got the and like we talked about it where west coast pro feels like the super indie for northern california but i don't want them to just become like they're rushing along this timeline where they're becoming the bad end of the line pwg way quicker than they should have been when we still need there's to get this. i wouldn't even want to insult pwg that way like it yeah. feels like they're be- it almost it feels like almost like a fucking like west coast new yeah, like yeah, at at the at the, at the rate in which they're going, because like again, if I'm an outlier on certain things, I'm fine. People will probably love this Will Osprey Titus Alexander match, like. But seriously, this these are not great shows. No, I think we like, like they're fine. They're watchable. They're solid. But I'm done trying to. I've seen enough. I've yeah. seen enough as to where like. I don't think that they're running good shows. I think that it's a hype machine and people are buying into a hype machine. And then if you actually ask people to explain what's great about West Coast Pro, I don't think I would be able to get an actual legitimate answer out of it. If you could ask me, like, what's great about West Coast Pro? What's great about Kevin Blackwood? What's great about Titus Alexander? These guys that are like, like, you know, mainstays on these shows and get these pushes or whatever, like, what, what would the answer be? Like, okay, cool. The Vinny Massaro stuff is awesome to see a guy and that's a veteran on the on the scene get some respect and pull, and he's able to have these really good barn barn burner matches. Other than that, fuck, Jacob. man. Like uh, Jacob, yeah, Jacob, yeah. Jacob's Jacob is the foundation of the company, really, and like he's not here. Is this the best ver- is this the best version of Jacob? No. Like this baby face version of Jacob? Like not really. Oh no. I'm I'm, I'm trying to keep I'm done pretending with this fucking promotion. It's <laughs> so like, I like I like the, the 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 Jacob that we get in, in West Coast Pro because like I said, yeah. it's special, it's unique. We don't really it's, see yeah, that. It's, it's, it, it, yeah, it, that's the real Jacob Fatsu. That's the real yeah. like Bay Area Bay Area kid Jacob Fatu, like, but and there's value in that, and I appreciate that. But he's uh, he's better as a heel, like. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't yeah, know. Either man. way, APW is coming back. King of the <laughs> is coming back. I just saw that get announced, and I'm so I was so tempted because it's been a while since I've gone up north, and and like my best friend since fucking elementary school has two kids, and I haven't met either of them. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm like I gotta go, and why not plan around going to you know. The best of, or the King of the Indies coming back, I'd be perfect. Uh, the last King of the Indies, actually, I went to up there, and he came with me. I might as well go up there now, and maybe we can bring one of his kids. You know, like fuck, one of his kids actually had like the acromegalia fucking um uh like the thing that Paul White had, where he had like a pituitary gland tumor that made what him really? Yeah, but they caught it when he was really young. But he's like super big. So, you know, like his kid could be a giant, you know, so maybe we bring Holy him shit. to the wrestling show and be like, hey, <laughs> you know, you should be one of these guys when you're a giant. You could be like Satnam Singh. Um, but either way, yeah. Um, yeah, like, I don't know, like they're coming back. 
King of the Indies is coming back, you know, so maybe the maybe the Northern California wrestling scene can be good and West Coast Pro can be part of the scene, but not the whole scene as they have yes. unfortunately been for a while. But either way, Quentin, we're done with West Coast Pro. Now it's time to talk about Gleet, Gleet version uh, 29 <laughs> or 25. Uh, what did you think about? No, uh, um, <laughs> did you watch did any not, of the Gleet show? No. I didn't get to it. I didn't get to it yet. I like I actually will. Like I didn't get to, I didn't get to it, it yet. You should watch it. The main event is very good, but I have to call out good friend of the show, um, Jojo Moso, uh, Joseph Monticilio, talking about this Lindemann versus Irie match like it's a five star fucking match of the year contender. I'm sorry, it's good. He but, went four and a half. He went four and a half on. Okay, okay. Because when he when he was first talking about it, he sounded like he was saying he was going to go five stars. And I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me when I watched it. So he said four and a half. Four and a half is still way too high. It's good. It's good. It's not that good. Lindemann has been really good in the best of the Super Juniors. And then this match was a nice little add-on. But yeah, either way. Yeah, I feel, I feel like my taste, like, we're all in the same hive mind. I generally have all the same sure, taste. Sure. I feel like my taste generally align more with Joseph's than yours do. So... I might wind up liking it as much as he did, but I'll get I'll get I'll get to that sometime tonight, and I'll uh, probably tweet, probably tweet, tweet about it. I guess. All right, that sounds good. Either way, Quentin, let's. Uh... Oh fuck! Before we go, I have to just say one thing. Talked about Daniel Bryan earlier. Talked about everything. They're, they obviously set up. Uh, they're doing. They're going to do the Jericho Appreciation Society versus um, Proud and Powerful Eddie Kingston and the. Blackpool Combat Club thing, like whatever they call it, and you know what crossed my mind, Tony Khan. So I just want to put this out here, so that like I I have it on record that I said this before we leave. Uh, Tony Khan, old message board weirdo, uh, obsessed with all this stuff, and they teased dissension on the Eddie Kingston between Eddie Kingston and and Brian Danielson, and you know what crossed my mind. Brian Danielson in the elimination, you know, war games, cage of death match, and he turns heel on uh, Eddie <laughs> Kingston, just like he did in the ROH uh, cage of death. And I was like, oh, my God, there's no way he's going to do this. But it seemed like there was a tease there, and I think that it was an intentional tease, and I haven't heard anybody else mention it. So I just had to throw that out there before we go. Either way, Quentin, uh, yeah, feel free to close it out. Love that idea. Um, you can follow me on, on Twitter at QC underscore Moody, and you can follow Tim at Bone Dog's Wife, or you can follow the We Don't Know Wrestling Podcast Network at WDKWPN. Tim alluded to it. Uh, our pal Dave Musgrave, the newest addition to the podcast feed, dropped the first episode of his Pretending to Fight podcast with Charles, a.k.a. Laws, from Pro Wrestling Only Fame. So listen to that if you guys have the time. And yeah, things getting a lot more interesting and a lot of moving and shaking on the feed right now. So look out for all that. As Alex always, thank you back. all. The big thing is that <laughs> Alex is coming back. Alex ah. is coming back. The, 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 the GOAT, in my opinion. Uh, but thank you all for listening and hope you're here next time. fucking pick a day to do psychology it's packed down dirt versus smooth and white
Warmth and 